G'day everyone, welcome to Conversations with Code 9, a podcast produced by the Code 9 Foundation, diving deep into conversations and sharing stories to support first responders living with PTSD. I'm your host Tiffany Cook and I'm a flag flying ambassador for the Code 9 Foundation and the work they do. Today's conversation is one that I recorded for my own podcast, Roll With The Punches. However, with Russell being a part of the Code 9 Foundation community and the nature of this chat, we thought that it would make perfect listening for you guys on this show. Russ and Suze are sharing their story around navigating life as a couple who were childless not by choice. We hear many stories around those who struggle with infertility or circumstantial barriers to having families. However, most of those stories have a happy ending. Not all stories do. And today's conversation is to shine a light on these people. We see you. And as is the Code 9 mantra, you are not alone. Russ and Susie. Nah, actually, actually, Susie and Russ, welcome to Roll With The Punches. I'm going to show you my T-shirt. Dangerous female. Oh, I like it. Is that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, forgot we're sharing. Sharing, um... (sighs) Yeah. For everyone listening, Sue's just stood up and showed me a T-shirt and ripped the headphone out of Russ's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Susie and Russ are my, well, Sue's and I have just met, but Russ is a mate of mine from the podcasting world. And well, how did we first, how did you roll into my circle? Code 9, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, through Code 9. I said that the other day when I quizzed you about, I was like, you are a paramedic, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> and yes. I, I thought... I can't actually recall how we have crossed paths and now I think I make up stories about people. <laughs> it could have been through the AV thing, through raining rain. Yes, right. Uh, could have been that as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah. I pop up everywhere. Pop yes, up yeah. everywhere. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like a bad smell, but that's pretty offensive. Yeah, well <laughs> do you wanna tell my audience what you've just broken my heart to tell me today? What we were just discussing, not not the. <laughs> I'm like that could have gone both either ways. <laughs> just the just the pre-podcast discussion. What you told me about the love of my life. Oh yeah, the, we, we we've just been discussing the fact that um, Bear, uh, as beautiful as she is, is is going to be a lifelong asshole. And, um, <laughs> but lovable. Uh, but a lovable asshole. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Yeah. And it will slowly dissipate. Over years, uh, 15, 20 years, it'll be all good. Yeah. I keep sitting down and calculating the months of how old she is, wondering when she'll stop thinking. Well, I sent you what I said to you the other day 78 months to go. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, that's it, right? And I'm laughing, but I'm crying on the inside. I'm crying mm. on the inside. I want to shout out to my mate Courtney that when I said to her prior to getting the cat, I said, because Courtney's got a cat that's an asshole, <laughs> I said, mm. Courtney, I'm not a cat, because I wasn't sure if I was a cat person, as you would have remembered me saying often. Yeah. Wasn't sure if I was a cat person, definitely a dog person. And I was very picky. I was like, I'm going to have a good-looking cat. I'm going to have a cute cat. I'm not going to have, like, a domestic cat, right? So when my <laughs> friend Courtney sent start sending me these adoption cats and they were just domestic, I was like, oh, she's dreaming. I'm going to have, like, a Russian blue or a rag doll. Next minute, I've adopted this bloody stray, and I said to Courtney, "What if I, what if she's an asshole? <laughs> Never in a million years thinking she would be, but as time goes on, um, my straight. personality traits are starting to fade <laughs> <laughs> out of her." <laughs> but she's straight into your life. That's the thing. She's your stray. Yes. Yes. Totally. Come together, meant to be. I had a Russian blue, but he was a throwaway. We got him as a rescue. So, yeah. Oh, see? Yeah. He was. Oh, oh, he used to be a naughty boy yeah. when he was a kitten. Yeah. He, he, he actually went He went, He went. went for a poo in the um, Christmas presents. Christmas presents once. <laughs> yeah. He came downstairs and when he was still a kitten, if he wasn't climbing the tree, he was shitting in the presents. So, yeah, um, yeah. it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but then he actually turned into a beautiful, yeah, most empathic he was, cat. Yeah. He was awesome. So How many decades did that take? Oh, actually, no, it didn't he, take very long yeah. for him. He he was just a beautiful boy. I think he just got through that kitten wood and then he was just like, oh. Most yeah. chilled cat. Yeah. I think that's going to be bare. I think she's going to be real yeah, chill. Positive thinking, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I'm totally you, chill. Once she's got you under your thumb, under her thumb. Oh, that's already. 
that's already happened. That's already happened. <laughs> so I never used to be a cat person either. How did it all change? How does this happen to us, Russ? I changed him. I got married. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you two meet, by the way? How did you two meet? Well, we met back in 1993 where Russ was in the army and he had just come home from um, deployment in Somalia mm -hmm. uh, aboard a naval vessel. And my youngest sister was working in his mum and dad's fish and chip shop in a town called Casino up in northern New South Wales. And I was working as a, a dressmaker part-time, um, also studying fashion and all that sort of stuff. So my sister, Russ, came back with a suit and the pants were too long. So my sister set us up and said, oh, my older sister's a dressmaker. And then... Um, so I come in, meet Russ, do his fitting and say that that was on a Friday and I'll, I said they'll be ready on a Monday but he rang me the next day and asked me out on a date and the rest is history. Boom, stitched him right up. Yeah, right? pretty Metaphorically much. and literally. Well and truly stitched. How great is that? Tell us your story, guys, because we're on you. What episode was it that I dropped recently? It was John Summers. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, on... and, uh, and yeah, which and he did a great job of of, of representing the infertility space. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I I just thought there's a there's a cohort of people like us that come out of that without the prize at the end. Mm. And um, yeah, so Susie and I are what's referred to as childless, not by choice, which means that uh, we're just, both infertile. Yeah, we're both infertile. Yeah. And despite a lot of effort with IVF, yeah, we were unsuccessful mm. in having children. And we're, I suppose we're still in that space now. There's there's two terms. There's child-free and child-less. It's not completely defined, but we sort of think of child-free as those that have chosen not to have children. Mm -hmm. and, and they have their own set of challenges from a societal point of view. The narrative is you have kids. If you don't have kids, what's wrong? So if you choose not to have kids, they're in a pretty pretty, pretty big bind as well. Uh, and that's another conversation. Mm. Uh, where the child was not by choice. And, yeah, I, I, I just thought it would be a, a good opportunity to have a chat about it and explain uh, where we fit in and, and, and some of the challenges that, that we meet on a regular basis, um, Sue. Yeah. Well, I, I guess briefly, I'll I'll let you know a little bit about our experience. So we we so I got married in ninety five, I think it was about ninety six. Ninety six. We started yeah, trying in Townsville, and had no luck. Uh, then we moved to Melbourne in ninety seven. Mm -hmm. Still trying, still no luck. Saw a GP. And we've been trying for, I think, more than more than 12 months at that stage. Yeah. So we were advised to go and see a gynecologist. Ross had all that. We both had blood tests and all that sort of stuff. And everything came back normal, um, except um, I think that Russ's sperm count was a little bit low and yeah, there was... Um, yeah, problems with the actual... Um, what they call the morphology. Yeah, or the like structure. I, I had Homer Simpson's sperm. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Simpsons episode <laughs> yeah. where they show they show yeah. home the sperm and it's just his head with the tail and they and they, and they, going, they, they swim around bumping into each other. Pretty much how I ended yeah. this yeah. uh, yeah. So um, that was sort of the start of our our journey. They Gwyni suggested we go and see a doctor, uh, an IVF doctor. So we started that journey, and we did that for seven years. I think the first cycle we did, it, it was very difficult because we didn't quite expect the grief that we felt. There was a lot of expectation and a lot of build-up from, from the IVF company that it's all about the success. Mm. And after the seven years we found that we were very, very over it. And for, for two reasons, one, financially, two, for me physically, I found out, I was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis that was never picked up. 
And then I had it went to a different guy and he picked it up. And every time we did a an IVF cycle, all the medications would re-stimulate the IVF, the uh, the endometriosis. So I had to go and have more surgery to get rid of that. So we decided to sort of call it quits. That was very, very hard, I think. And just in a way, it was a relief coming to that decision. But that grief of not being able to be, you know, have that that dream that everyone else takes granted so easily. I think, you know, I've never had a positive pregnancy test in the whole time that we tried. And that that's really, I don't know, for some reason that plays on my mind a little bit, I guess. I did at one stage, I think, go through a bit of a period where I felt like I was not accepted as equally as a woman in society because I couldn't have children. And I think Russ has also been through the similar sort of experience with not being able to be a father. The, um, yeah. the IVF itself is, if you want to take all the passion and desire out of your sex life, do IVF. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, it just turns it into a science experiment. Mm. And everything is is done as per the agenda of the clinic. Uh, and that's that's to facilitate the, the best chance of it. Uh, they don't, I don't, I don't know about now, but back then they weren't terribly honest about how quickly your chance of getting pregnant falls off after yeah. you've done IVF. It, it, it drops by almost 50% after your first cycle. Yeah. And we were 28 um, when we first, when yeah, we first yeah. started so it we as well. So we, young. Wow. we were pretty young. Yeah. Once wow. you hit 35, you get a huge drop in possibility. And once you hit 45, it's very, very unlikely that anything happens. But the one thing we did find is the only way for us to take control of the process was to stop it. Yeah. It's the only time only we get felt control that we, we were in control. It's the yeah. only control we had was to say no. And, and, and it was a real challenge. Uh, I, I sent you the poem, uh, 13, mm. which was just an expression of the 13 embryos that we had transplanted. And, and, and the loss of, uh, uh, of those children uh, which, yes, um, and, and a common comeback uh, is that, oh, but they never existed. Uh, that, they- yeah, I like to challenge that too because we actually got to see, I don't know if they do, still do this, but at em- like embryo implantation time, they put them on a screen, a video screen, so you can actually see those cells and they're alive. So you have this thing in your mind. Yeah. yeah that's my growing baby that they're about to put in. And when that doesn't happen, the grief, uh, and this is one thing I've found very difficult uh, to explain to people or for people to understand really more than anything, that grief is the same as losing a child. A lot of people, like we've had family members who have strongly disagreed with that view, which hasn't really helped. But I think unless you've, known that that failure and that constant failure of every single embryo not working the grief compounds and eventually i mean it does it does ease off when we decided to stop that took a lot of pressure off but there are still things that still to this day will re-trigger that grief yeah. with, uh, which is uh, yeah I mean, they they lived in our minds and our hearts exactly and, um, yeah. yeah and we planned we Yep. We, we toured schools for our children. We bought a car that was safe and appropriate for our kids. We've done all that. We had nursery furniture and baby clothes, and buying those was a great thing. Keeping them afterwards and then eventually moving them on was devastating. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you know what's really interesting? This morning, it's weird that this came into my feed, but this morning at some point when I was scrolling on Facebook, that and I've seen it before and I've read it before, but I reread it because I find it really interesting, a research study on, and you likely will have heard of it, I'm guessing, of the the study where they put mice or rats in these glasses of water and see how long they will keep swimming to survive. Mm-hmm. And after 15 minutes, they last about 15 minutes and they die and they give up and they die. And then they got the next batch of them and they right before that 15 minutes they pull them out dry them off 
and then they put them back in to see how long they'll last. And so it's a study on the effects of hope and I've got goosebumps as I say that because they lasted 60 hours. They swum for 60 hours because they had hope because they had... And so when you talk about the grief, like you didn't have hope. That no, was like, there was no hope. You didn't, yeah. you didn't give up in the 15 minutes. You swum the 60 hours without the hope. Like, yeah, you can yeah. Gr- grieve things That's that you haven't true. had. Like, I- Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, as, it's as real as losing my father. It's as real as, as, yep. as, yeah, as other deaths I've seen. With a, with a lack of people's understanding and empathy, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. The, 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 the popular narrative is that... Oh, it's, you know, you're sort of allowed to go through the process for a little while, but there is a, a stigma of continuing with it and mm. taking it. Yeah, um, people are quite that. uncomfortable with uh, it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had people that were dismissive of it, but I've also had people who were actively hostile wow. towards having that conversation uh, where you know, they were taken aback by, oh, how dare you compare yourself to someone who's had a SIDS child or... Or someone who's gone through that, and yeah, I, I I get that. I've 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 taken parents through the death of their child in part of, as part of my job, and 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 I understand that devastation. But what we need to do is the whole narrative from the media, from the general public, is that where we are is is, is really not that bad a place because you get oh you, you don't have to spend money on kids you. You get to have a free life. Blah, blah, blah. No, <laughs> uh, no, that's not how it works. And we, um, yeah, uh, we, yeah, and we get reminded of it on a regular basis. Um, yeah. Father's Day and Mother's Day. I was going to say coming up uh, with one, Father's Day. You know, yeah. um, it's uh, it's 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 two days that I generally think uh, for people who ignore their parents 364 days a year and then get to show up on that one day and go, hey, how you going? <laughs> uh, typical Hallmark holidays. And that might be a little bit um, cynical, but, you know, uh, Father's Day for me is, A, I'm not a father, and B, I don't have a father. He's, he, he died. And for Suzanne, Mother's Day is the same. Yeah. Um, and we have just this expectation. It's it's part of the reason I don't watch commercial TV anymore. The amount of times you see everything pointed towards that child uh, or that family with family children. With children. And, yeah. and once upon a time when, when they were a majority, that was okay. But at the moment we're looking at by about 2030, about 50% of couples are going to be childless either by choice or not by choice. Mm. Our procreation is slowing down and marketing people aren't picking up on that. The media, it's getting better at how it approaches being childless. Um, yeah, there's know, the episode of Bluey. Bluey there, the episode, episode onesie in season three. Bluey's the Australian animated uh, series for kids. Mm-hmm. And it does a very good job of addressing social issues. There's a lot of subtext there. And and the episode they did about the childless aunt was really, really lovely. Right up until the point that it was the aunt who apologised to the people with kids for being absent. And I, I I was actually feeling a little bit teary right up until that moment. And then my hackles went up and I went, why is the childless person apologising? And that was a bit sad because it was good up to that point. Yeah. Mm. SBS, I think it was Catalyst. Was it Catalyst? No. Well, was one of the shows on SBS recently did a uh, talk show about childlessness, and it was it was a it was a really well put together. A, a friend of mine who um, is involved with Childlessness Australia, and also can I can I give his his Facebook page a, a plug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and also uh, was was one of the founders of the Childless Men's Community on Facebook. Yeah, he he was on there uh, to give that that men's perspective and um it was it was being done quite well they had they had uh, people childless for a range of reasons and from a range of places but they still in the end it was a lovely story and i i can see the happiness in it it still ended up with the childless situation having a child come into it 
they still it was almost as though they want the producers wanted to ingratiate themselves to the general public that there's always this hope at the end mm. yeah and, and there's not there's not always yeah. that hope at the end yeah and so it was a good show but uh, and that's the general media narrative is they'll address infertility, they'll address childlessness, but normally there'll be the happy ending. Mm. There'll be the, oh, they've done IVF and they've got pregnant. Um, they've had a child. And you sort of go, yeah, nah. Yeah. Uh, it's about 20% that won't. As a couple, how have you both supported each other as individuals and navigated the relationship this must have been a huge toll to go through the individual emotions and the the waves that you would and look after yourselves and each other and yourselves as a couple yeah um i actually think we we were probably we're probably a little bit rare we were told we were rare by um we we had a lot of counseling so with the ivf an IVF, brilliant IVF counsellor who told us that we were not really like other couples because we didn't really have support from family. So we had no family living down here in Melbourne when we went through IVF. So we supported each other and we felt it was something that we were equally both going through and experiencing um, both individually and as a couple once we both got the, you know, the infertile diagnosis but we supported each other and I think the counselling we I cannot say how important that was and it weirdly enough it's something that we've always been really comfortable talking about with each other like where we're at with it and we've always been really on the same page so that I don't actually think it's really affected our relationship in the long turn really no it's a, it's, it, it's something we've shared it's, it's something um, that we shared yeah and we know of other couples who have split up because of it and for whatever reason but we started out from day dot as approaching it together and this is for us and it's our journey so we still support each other with that when one thing that is very difficult for us is uh, particularly in workplaces I'm a nurse, so people are getting pregnant all the time. Mm. And there's this constant expectation that, you know, yeah, you've got to be happy, you've got to put in and put money in and all that sort of stuff. And to me, and I know Russ agrees with this, basically every time that happens, I think I'm never going, I'm never going to experience that. Mm. Um, and there's uh, one time I did speak up at work and said, okay, I can't have kids, so when I get my next cat or dog, I'm expecting a baby basket. (laughs) And that just got met with laughter. They thought I was joking. I wasn't, but anyway, never got my baby basket. So (laughs) it it makes you feel very invisible. Yes. And we both really relate to that feeling. I know Russ has gone through the same thing with his workplace. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's it's really people just don't understand when you don't react. You can only fake your smiles and I mean we're we're happy for people. We don't we don't want to take away from their happiness, but we have to acknowledge our grief and how we feel and how it's that little reminder of like no, that's not on the cards for you. It's never going to be on the cards for you. You know what's beautiful about that is that you both work in, in roles where, and I'm bang on about it all the time, I'm surprised Russell's not rolling his eyes because he's heard me talk about it so many times on the podcast, but you both work <laughs> in roles where by default there's a fair amount of suppressing emotions, putting other yeah, people first. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I think it's really beautiful that you that you allow yourself to feel your grief and acknowledge your grief yeah. and acknowledge your feelings. And you know what? I There's nothing at all wrong with like I think as a society we we forget that like it's if I feel something. I've had these conversations before. If yeah. I if I feel something and have an emotional reaction to something. 
that's okay. I can know that that's not Absolutely. even valid. I can know that whatever's making me feel that is has nothing to do with another person. But I can also say to that person, I'm feeling like this it's, and I know that there's not, but I've got to figure it out. But I, yeah. you know, it's just because it's maybe not, I'm not going to say not right because that's going to imply that it's wrong. It's not wrong. But just because it's not explainable or it's not, or it's, you know, it's not typical doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge it and, it, and it's not okay. Yeah. Like it exists. Absolutely. It's a, yes. it's a subjective thing. Absolutely. And, and You're not just making it up and going, no, well, we, exactly. We often, yeah. we, often, we often say an ambulance when we go to people who probably don't need an ambulance. And the one thing I used to try and teach my students is even though we might not think they need an ambulance, they do. And so our job is to ease their minds Tell them you're okay. You can probably go see your GP, or you can do this or do that. Our job is to go there and get indignant and say, "What you call us for?" <laughs> Which in the last ten years has become a, a a bit of a challenge. I was going to um, say, I don't know. I, how you I'm, do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not on the road at the moment, which I am very grateful for, and my colleagues that are, I've got nothing but respect because mm. it's just amazing. Mm. Um, it's 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 funny. Susie talked about the invisible thing before. Uh, Michael Hughes, who, um, who who's the gentleman I was talking about earlier, uh, I think it was earlier this year, had a sit-down with the Diversity Council of Australia and, they, and he was talking about the child was not by choice cohort and they had a fairly long conversation and Diversity Council of Australia at the end of it sort of sat back and said, pretty much an oops, they went, we've completely missed this particular uh, marginalised group. And and, it, and it's marginalisation for different reasons. I understand that. Uh, they, they, don't get me wrong; they're running with it now. It's now become uh, part of what they do. And now we're trying to introduce that into other workplaces. And it's very, very hard to get leverage mm-hmm. um, or traction, I should say, because there's two reasons. A lot of the people who experience it uh, have been so sort of invisible for so long they don't really want to come out of that place Uh, it's a safe space for them and i understand that Mm. and a lot of people who don't want to talk about it don't like it being brought up Um, yeah i find that's that's um, a common and and then and then then there's the middle grounders who just aren't aware Uh, and that's what we want to try and do we want to develop that awareness and that's where we're trying to start a an on-government organization called childless australia as a uh, an advocacy group for this particular minority, and and I th- I think we can do it. It's going to be a long a long haul. We need to we need to change the the societal narrative in how we speak about the childlessness. So what what comes after your infertility and your what they call it uh, art or assisted reproductive technologies? So what comes after whatever process you go through? Uh, quite often people will say, well, why don't you adopt? Um, if you've done seven years of IVF, the last thing you want to do is jump into the maelstrom that is trying to get yeah. an adoption approved. Yeah, we did, we did actually look into it. We went to a, an information session yeah. and found that, and that was for overseas adoption. I think adoption within our own country is very, very difficult. Mm. And often they'll go, I think it's more they're heading towards foster care and then replacing back with families. So we sort of thought, no, oh, that that didn't that wasn't the right fit for us. So we thought, okay, let's have a look at the um, you know, the other options. So we did the information night and we found out that one, there's uh, it's very, very expensive. It's limited, like certain countries have age limits on how old you need to be, uh, like an upper age limit um, for when you can adopt. The other thing is they actually, it was quite intrusive um, and stressful in a different way, well, in a different way because they actually come in and I don't know if this is still the same way, I would assume it would be. Um, They do background checks, but they interview your whole family, which Mm -hmm. I think is quite intrusive for your family members, particularly if they're not supportive. (laughs) Yeah, that can complicate the procedure even more. So we just thought, you know, I don't think this is for us. We've been through these seven years of stress. Let's leave it. And mm. I think I don't I don't at all regret making that decision. I think that would have just yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have been really, really, really 
And that's yeah. a, a, the, the adoption space is, it's another podcast on its own. It's a little bit simpler if you're a cis heterosexual couple. The moment you start going out into anything which is not, and I'll use the word normative, which means not the accepted as male-female relationship. Mm. Uh, as soon as you go into something odd, some of the countries that provide overseas adoption will get put up big barriers mm. Uh, mm. straight away. So same-sex, um, trans, uh, single-person adoptions, those sort of things uh, can be quite challenging mm. uh, with some of the countries yeah. from overseas. Not so much in Australia. They're, they're, they're fairly good here. But again, as Sue said, there's no real adoption. Yes. The other thing too is at the end of the day, so you, you say if you go down that path, you put in your application, you pay all this money, there is still, again, no guarantee that they're going to accept your file and that you will end up with, with a child. Mm. So it's another, again, another big unknown, a big, it's a very big risk. And we thought that we had just risked I'm not risked. We, we, we didn't want to take that risk anymore. We'd we, we had enough uncertainty and enough enough of that waiting, waiting, waiting for it to happen. And it's the mental and emotional toll. Like oh, absolutely. Seven, seven years of emotions and resilience and, you know, I liken it to the whole bloody COVID experience we just had. It's like put us in mm-hmm. lockdown for two years and then try and pump yeah. up our tyres about opening business again. It's like I'm, I'm yeah. fucking tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah like Absolutely. I could have gone through the adoption process seven years ago, but now I'm tired and I've went through yeah, IVF that's for right. seven years and, yep. you know, yes. the hormones yep. that have been pumped into your body throughout yep. that Absolutely. and the emotions. Oh, and and, yeah. and that's, um, that's, a, that's another part of that wonderful journey is the um, – and, 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 and sadly it's predominantly female-based is the pressure that we put on the female side of the relationship because it's hormones, it's hyperstimulation, mm. or it's it's producing no no follicles and no eggs. Um, it's you know, and all this pressure is put on the female when all I have to do is watch a movie and come a cup. That's my my contribution to that process. Yeah, yeah. To to watch what Sue's went through, and and she had hyperstimulation at one stage. Uh, when she produced 21 follicles, which doesn't sound like much until you actually add up to the follicles about two centimetres long and about a centimetre in diameter. And so you put 21 of those together inside a closed space. It's not a comfortable feeling. Uh, and then they have to harvest those 21 follicles. And a, a, good, a good description of harvesting the eggs uh, is they actually have a... An ultrasounded an ultrasound, guided needle. Needle. So it's a... It's a it's a it's yeah. about a fourteen gauge needle. It's probably a good twelve inches long. Uh, so they put the internal ultrasound in. It's got this little guide on the top, and then they just keep punching through the side of the vagina ah. to grab the follicles off the thing. It's it's barbaric. Um, <laughs> um, she was unconscious. I had to watch it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they don't let partners in. I feel like you're carrying anymore, all so. of the trauma from that procedure. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> oh, I'm not the good drugs at the end, which is good. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I, I needed the good drugs. But it's, um, <laughs> yeah, IVF, and, and this is actually something that I think John Summers uh, would probably cover really well. And he certainly covers the ins and outs of the clinics themselves and how to read the statistics that they provide. Mm. Um, uh, because they are open to interpretation um, and, and, and he gives really good advice on that side of the thing. I sort of touched on this a, a, a bit. Um, but we were talking just, just about the, the concept of being childless, not by choice, and the complexity of it. There's, there's very simple cases of childless, not by choice, which is Susie and I, we both had male and female factor infertility and then we had... There was physiological issues, which we found out later on, and we tried, and it was just unsuccessful for us. But then we have the people who, um, A, we have uh, those that are same-sex, okay, that are still childless, not by choice, because your sexuality isn't a choice. Mm. And if your sexuality happens to negate the ability to procreate, that makes it not a choice. Mm. Uh, So these people are childless, not by choice. We have those people in the trans uh, sphere uh, who go through this as well. 
And then uh, there are those that have um, significant uh, family history of psychological issues or physiological issues, which would make having a child um, dangerous or have a prolonged uh, impact on both the child and the parents. And it goes on from there. Then there are overseas, we have uh, members of the Facebook group who have cultural impediments to them being able to become parents. And it's, um, yeah, so it's not just the the straightforward black and white issues with fertility. It then goes on to um, social, uh, psychological, economic, um, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's, it's a really complex place and... Uh, and that, that's why it'd be great to get more people involved in it uh, because the bigger representation of people we have, the more information we can gain on how we need to move forward. And that's, yeah, it's, it's a really... Where does it leave you? Where does it leave you as a couple who, who for, you know, almost a decade, I mean, if not longer, because from the minute you met, you've kind of been planning this life. Yeah. With both with a really strong drive to have a family, where does it leave you moving through life and planning life? Like, what is that? What is that feeling? And what is that? What is that outlook? That's um, something we've only just really, really, really started been sort of thinking about because it's like we're both both fifty three. We're not going to have kids to look after us when we're old. So what we do, I think, yeah, it, make, it really certainly makes you think about we're going to have to have some sort of plan in place, whether it be a like some sort of assisted living or retirement village, I think. Um, preferably I'd rather be in my own home and be independent, but it, it, it raises those questions and it's like, well, I think, that's a whole other that's a whole other ball game and a whole other set of challenges that but then that, that space between then and like now and then yeah you know, um, what, what what drives you what fills that place uh, I suppose for both of us it's um, it, it, it's our blessing and our curse is that we yeah we have it we have a need to look after others yeah that's true um, yeah I think our, our work has yeah. it, it positively our work, because I was studying nursing right in the middle of, you know, when we started IVF and everything. So I just put focus onto work yeah. and looked up, looking after other people gives me a real sense of joy, a little bit of a mothering sense in a way. Yeah. I also get that when I look after nursing students. I sort of feel like that fills that gap a little bit. Yeah. Resident, resident nurse mum. Yeah, work mum. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like that role. Yeah, and I mean we're very blessed that we have got a small group of friends who are really really supportive. We do have two beautiful goddaughters mm. who we love immensely. Unfortunately, we have the downside. The downside of the IVF too, I think, is it can alienate you from your families, which we've both experienced, unfortunately. So we don't, I think we rely on our friends more than our family because um, they they weren't really that supportive to start with. And I don't, that's sort of continued. And there's always been an expectation that because we don't have kids, any time, like for Christmases, birthdays, any family events, we're always the ones who have to drop everything and go uh, because we don't have kids as such. So there's this expectation. So we've, we actually, we decided to stop that because that was very unfair for us. But our family only see it with very... It's a bit of a bloody booby prize, isn't it? It oh, is not it can not You can't really. have family and also come and do all the shit you don't want to do. That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we just, we look no. after each other now. And that's our main priority. Yeah, we we had support from our parents on both sides. Uh, they were they were great. Yeah. Um, as best they could from the distance that they were away. 
Ah, uh, but they were always there for a phone call and that sort of thing. Um, siblings were a different story. Yeah, there was some um, some unusual responses from siblings. Confusing and disappointing uh, yeah. is, is probably the words I'd use. But we know families are weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, fam- the families you choose are always far more, lo- much more low maintenance than the families you belong Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, that was a that was a good side of that. Yeah. So I think we we to keep ourselves going now, like we I think we prepare for the days like Father's Day and Mother's Day, and we're sort of happy when they're over. Christmas is still a little bit of a difficult time because we never actually got to have a family Christmas at our house mm. ever with our families so we we try and do our own do our own thing now try and i guess make our own little tradition so we'll go go out for lunch or something for christmas do our own thing again i think just keeping um i'm studying i'm uh, two-thirds of the way through a master's to become an art therapist so i'm moving slowly out of nursing and doing something a little bit different where I think that that need to still be to be able to help people I think mm. is there so I'm gonna yeah be, doing that and I'm going to be investigating epigenetics but I hear my coach is a bit of a bitch um, <laughs> she's a massive bitch but if you can weather the storm well, if you can well, weather the storm you'll learn a thing or two and you sad, won't have sad. to put up with her forever sadly she's a real rocket in the ring and i i said if the epigenetics doesn't work we're going to get in the ring and i'm probably going to get the shit beat out of you. Um, <laughs> um yeah I, I don't care how big i am i'm just going to go down straight away <laughs> if she swings and misses i'm going down I don't and if it goes the other way and i and i get knocked out i'll feel pretty safe because i'll be in there with a the paramedic <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since i touched patients so oh, oh careful Oh, um, right. Oh. But um, back to back to serious stuff. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be good. Um, well, the other thing I think that, that makes our lot that has really saved, saved our sanity is having animals. Oh, yeah. I think the, the majority of, because I, I, in my workplace, I deal with patients coming in for IVF procedures and mm. they've nearly all got animals. So I, I can actually really relate to them and understand what they're going through and... Um, I think we've had we've had a lot of animals. Fur kids, the best. Yeah, fur kids, our fur kids. We're up to about 13, 13th cat now. Yeah, and, and eighth, 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 eighth dog. dog or something like that. We had a rat. Jack and a rat. Great. We had a little rat. Great, yeah. I had a pet snake <gasps> once. Oh, I always wanted a pet snake. I don't think Jack would like the snake. No, I don't think Jack would like well. the snake. But, yeah, having the animals and I think, you know, by taking the dogs to the dog park, that it has filled a gap and i don't think i could ever live without without animals they're just i think that's another way that we really i guess a way for us to do that parenting in a different way yeah yeah Yeah. i suppose there there are a couple of other things that i wanted to highlight in the childlessness space one is uh, one of the issues we have there is a there's a fairly big support network out there, but it's very gender focused, um, and and it's more female based. You can you can go on Facebook and look up childless not by choice support groups. Uh, you'll get a hundred hundred ones for women, but none for men. Yeah. Uh, and that's we men are our own worst enemy when it comes to dealing with this sort of thing because we just don't want to talk about it. You know, there is there is still a huge pool of thought out there where you know to be a man you've got to be a father i don't agree with that personally i've known some fathers that are pretty ordinary Mm. and and it's um a comedian that i like you know people people say you you don't have kids you don't understand one of my favorite comedians um steve hofstetter came came out with this he said he's never he's never been a father um but then again he doesn't know how to fly a helicopter either but when he sees one stuck in a tree, he knows something went wrong. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be a parent to understand what might be good for the child. Okay. And, and we get judged that way quite often. People say, oh, yeah, you don't have kids. You don't know. Don't know and yeah, and, and that can be a really challenging thing, and especially trying to get men to engage 
in in this space in, in, in you know, to, to to join this narrative is really challenging uh, for a whole lot of reasons. There's a lot of shame involved in that the you know, the inability to be a father, and I understand it totally. And I suppose we need to work on how we we change that place for them, and uh, and that's part of what we're trying to do uh, from the male side of it. There are some fantastic uh, female support networks out there that are really good, and th- and that's a good thing. Uh, the, the other thing was the we, we were talking about later life. Uh, one of the new conversations that's being had, and it's going to be quite probably volatile at times, um, is end of life care for people with our children because we're going to become a very very big percentage of the population as we age. There is a a subset of people out there, and I'm one of them that. Uh, thinks if I get to a point where I'm really, really unwell and there's no one around me uh, who can help me and support me from a family point of view, do I want to start thinking about, well, is it time for me to move on? Mm. Is it time to me to, to go to where, to whatever, whether there's oblivion or whatever you would like to think happens mm. after that? And it's a, it's a difficult conversation. Uh, but then again, five years ago, assisted death in Victoria was a difficult conversation until it wasn't anymore. Mm, mm. Uh, and we made it happen. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting embryonic sort of thing at the moment. But it, it'd be lovely to see people join that conversation as well and give us ideas and concepts and where we go. It's actually interesting to think about that because, um, you know, it's a little bit like the retirement conversation and how quickly people's health can decline after retirement because of the lack of socialisation and and community around them. Well, you know, like the both times that you've brought up that kind of afterlife care or not having kids, you know, Susie, when you said it before... I mean, I got a chill down my spine because I thought, well, I'm not planning to have kids. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, who's going to look after me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. also, that's, you know, that's and that's all well and good when we're active and we're, and we're working and we're exploring the world. But the, what are the effects of people not having a family at a time when work isn't a part of life anymore? Exactly. But yeah. it may, you know, for a lot of people, it might, you know, they, they, they'll have different ways of life. And for myself, I'm, I'm childless by choice. Mm. And so, you know, there'll be things in my life, but it is an interesting, it's inter- I find it interesting to kind of go on that thought tangent with it and go, oh, what would the repercussions be? Because well, you, get, you, know, you, get, yeah. you get to experience the other side of society going, oh, you don't want kids. What are you, selfish? <laughs> Yeah, Why don't you want to have kids? What's wrong with kids? Well, I'm one cat what's, what's, into what's my. Right I'm one so, cat into my 70, 17 cats. So. Well, yeah, crazy yes. cat lady. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, uh, and and that, that, that's a good outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but it's um, it's it's it, it's an interesting situation. At the moment, we're just we're, we're taking along. We're relatively content with where we are. We still get triggered by um, things in the media and conversations about um, new children at work and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And you know, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've had people that I've engaged in this conversation, and they've been absolutely amazing. Mm. They have got it straight yeah. away, and they've gone, yeah, "Oh, yeah. cool, yeah, I get that," mm. but not not in the majority. Not yeah. in, you know. Um, no, and you know that. It's interesting. I remember it was last year speaking to one of my friends who's Sri Lankan and he was talking about riding uh, somewhere in the country with his mates, motorbike riding, and he stopping in at this pub. He's like, yeah, I went for a ride up there. And he goes, oh, we stopped at this pub. But we walked in and he's like, I don't know, I think his friends were um, Sri Lankan as well, but he said we're the only dark-skinned people in there. Mm. And I mm. kind of looked at him and I went, so... Is that a thing for you? Like, it's what do you even notice that? He's like, mm. uh, yeah, and I, because yeah. I don't notice it with, because he's just a person in, you know, he's just in my life. Yeah, yes, yeah. And I don't know, but I've never been the minority. And you are, you're, 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 you're not a white, um, heterosis male. Exactly. So yeah. you do cop it. I don't. 
Yeah. So I've, got, I've got testicles, so I'm doing all right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's completely true. We, 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 we have trouble having insight into marginalised groups unless yes. we're part of a marginalised mm. group. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I think one of the most revealing things for me was accepting that I am part of a marginalised group. I'm childless, not my children. Yeah. I'm married to a member of a marginalised group. Uh, which is women, and, and and it just goes on from there. Uh, we're lucky enough to my my what make what makes me different is hard to see. Um, I'm also I also suffer from mental health issues from PTSD, but again, it's not external, and so people can't see it. And mm. we sort of um, we're lucky in that way uh, to be a member of a marginalised group, which is so obvious. I have trouble understanding that they find that level of discomfort commonly. Uh, mm. They'll go into a situation which we would go, oh, yeah, it's all good. But they go into it and they feel that palpable uh, lack of welcome and you sort of go, wow, that's really hard and that's really wrong. Mm. Anyway, I've gone off on a tangent. Um, we love a tangent. Ta ta tangential stuff, you, you love it. <laughs> When you wrote when you when you wrote that the other day, I thought it said tangential, <laughs> and I thought that's not a place you should be getting some. It's um, it was really strange. I read it once and I went, I came back and read it again. And went, oh, tangential. Okay, right, got it. When you said you and Bobby were going tangential, I thought, okay, that's just wrong. <laughs> it's really strange. Um, no, that, we didn't go on a tangent on that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. uh, there you go. I've, I've, I've gone completely inappropriate now. Oh, yeah. oh, we love it. Hey, so for for anyone listening that might be going through this or have gone through this or are just interested, um, how can they how can they connect and be a part of the Childless Not by Choice community? If you get on Google uh, Childlessness Australia. We have a very simple web page up at the moment, which is purely for signing on for interest. Still very embryonic at the moment. Still a very new organisation. Pardon um, the pun. Pardon the pun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Um, but what we need, what we need is skill sets. What we need is people who understand. You know, it, it'd be lovely to get someone in who understands corporate mentality and how to build an organisation like this because we've got a huge amount of really enthusiastic people mm. who have great skill sets but not anything like that. Uh, and the ones that do have that are already under the pump anyway. There's the Childless Men's Community, uh, which is the, um, the Facebook page. For the female point of view, there's an organisation called Gateway Women, uh, which is probably one of the larger organisations, and there are many and varied it's others. It's a global well. one, that one. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it's quite good. And, and some of the people I've spoken to about it have found it really, really useful. For the men, uh, there's sadly not a lot. It's an Australian one. Oh, okay. uh, there's another one which is a, just an Australian well, one. Apparently the men aren't important. Yeah, obviously not. Um, called womanport.com.au and that's about, uh, they offer free counselling as well for that one by the looks of it. Mm -hmm. That's about, um, yeah, Again, for women, I don't know that they have an awful lot for men, unfortunately. It looks very female orientated. Well, but, it's, it's yeah. called woman. Well, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, actually, shut up, Russell, because there's no shortage of people in the trans space who could be part of that group. And then, then for the men's side of the thing, there is the uh, the childless men's community on Facebook, which is the one I'm part of and that is um, started up. And it's a, it's a good space just to get support quietly. It's a closed group, so you'll need to actually join, uh, answer some questions and that sort of thing. And and we are we are a little bit restrictive about who we let in. Uh, if you haven't finished your uh, reproductive journey yet, uh, ours is not the page for you. And there are other pages. That yeah, are you definitely similar. don't need anyone yeah. sharing their success in the middle of that page when they no, have no. it. It, it, it's, it has happened. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm one of the. I'm, I'm one of the admins and we've had to go, whoa, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll get rid of that one. <laughs> yeah, bro, uh, no, not yeah, the place. No, yeah, not the place. <laughs> not if you want positive feedback anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I managed to catch that with only one comment on it. We got rid of it. But it was, oh, no, thanks. Yeah, please. No, <laughs> that reminds me of the very first 
Oh. <laughs> support group. We went, we went to a support group after we finished IVF, and it was for people who weren't successful, like couples who weren't successful. And there was we actually made some, we've got some lifelong friends out of that. The the one session, there was this one woman who turned up and said, "Oh, but I'm in, I'm infertile, but I've had a baby." And we're like, "No, she, every, every, no, she was. Pregnant. Oh, she's pregnant. Yeah, she's pregnant." And everyone's just like, like very, very well along into the pregnancy. She's infertile, and she's sitting there probably about six months pregnant. Yeah, and, we're going, and everyone's just what? like, what? you're not you, reading you, the you room, could've, love. Could've, you could have yeah. cut the tension with a knife. Everyone what else was in the room. Doing is just, there? She never came back after that, so I, I think she got the gist I, that it was I, not really I, the group. We'll, we'll, we'll put it down <laughs> to baby brain, which, as we know, is a real thing. Um, <laughs> yes. It is a definite thing. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, that was a it was an interesting conversation or, or lack of conversation because as soon as she said what she said, everyone just went. <laughs> it just it just the room fell silent. Yep. And we all went. Mm, that didn't, that, that didn't go down terribly well. Mm. Anyway. You know what's nice is there's so many um, there's so many minorities at the moment just all coming out that it almost feels to me like they all blend together. Like it's it's making everything and everyone open and it's not about oh i think at first when people are rallying for some exposure and and Mm. understanding it's getting misinterpreted for like wanting attention or being special and and exactly so they can push back on that but really it's you know now it's just like no i just want you to see me people just want to be seen the level of intersectionality is actually really really high and 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 yeah, what we want is we want people from from all facets, yeah, from all places because that's who we're meant to represent. Yeah, and the only and the only way to do that is to get people involved, you know. And 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 when marginalised groups support marginalised groups, they become less marginalised. Yes, uh, they become stronger, and they become they they start getting pulled out of the shadows, mm. yeah, uh, and into the mainstream. And, and that's where we need to be. It, it's such a vital part of developing a society which is inclusive and yep. accepting. And, yeah, and I, I, I think I, I can't see any damage being done by that. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the, same, the same-sex marriage vote was a great example. You know, we, we saw a country go, what's the problem? Can we just get through this and get it yeah. happening? So yeah, and we mm. did. And I, and I and I was actually proud of my country that day. I thought, wow, well done. That's cool. Yeah. And again, and we need to see more of that sort of thing. We need to see more support from the general public for others. Because we use the word minority sometimes almost like a slur. Oh, you're only a small group. Why should the rest of society do anything? Well, because that's how society works. That's how a an advanced society works. We actually, you know, it's a measure of your society, how well you look after the less fortunate. I'm getting the wind up, believe it or not. <laughs> Can't see it, but she's 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 out oh, of cam- she's eyes. out of camera doing the um doing the wind up. He does like to waffle a lot. Speak speaking of under the thumb, gee whiz. <laughs> What you've just said, my thing at the minute is I know people are uncomfortable talking about a lot of this stuff, but my message to people is get comfortable with the uncomfortable. We live with the uncomfortable. Challenge yourselves a little bit and just, just think from other perspectives um, and this is not just for childless, by ch- um, not by choice. It's for, for any marginalised group. I think mm. the more exposure we have and the more we have conversations about, about uncomfortable things, the more it can be discussed in a really realistic, equal conversation. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable, people. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's my it's thing. super passionate about it. Yeah. I am passionate about it, yeah. yeah. Step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. And I've I've loved it. I've, I've loved the conversation about it. And it was one that I'd Thank never, you. I'd really never kind of had given thought to or really you existed. Um, so well done doing what you are doing for the community and building Thanks. that. Thanks for having us. And the offshoot of, you know, what you're doing for other 
communities out there that are small and unseen and listen to this and go, we're kind of the same, but in a different area, yeah. you know? Yep. Well done. Thanks a million. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening and make sure you reach out and support Russell and Suze and all Thank the you. things. And support Roll the Punches too. Absolutely. 100%. Of course. Totally. Five star. Five star review. Five star review. <laughs> <Ten> star. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>